everybody tells her that they are sorry and you can be somebody who's different and really help her in this moment that she needs you. It's hard for advisors to do this. I, I got to tell you, the number of planners I've met who, when I tell them about the niche that we serve and how we like to communicate with them, say, well, you can have them. I hate it when they cry. Welcome back to Beyond the Portfolio, the podcast where we explore the many different hats advisors wear in today's changing advisory landscape. I'm your host, Jim Edward, and joining me this episode is Evelyn Zolan, president and founder of Inspired Financial in Huntington Beach, California. As an RIA, Evelyn knows a little effort can go a long way in serving her clients. Throughout her career, Evelyn has supported women in transition as they navigate the next steps in their personal and financial lives. Welcome to the podcast, Evelyn. Thanks, Jim. So glad to be here. We are very glad to have you. Today, we're going to be discussing uh, the role of a relationship counselor and how that kind of can tie in to the role of a financial advisor. And you know something about that, Evelyn. But first, can you share a little bit about yourself? Sure. I um, actually got my start in the financial services industry working as a relationship manager on the institutional side of a large mutual fund company. And over the years that I worked with this company, I regularly encountered pretty heartbreaking situations for individual participants in those companies. I found myself thinking that, you know, if somebody had just gotten to these folks a year ago or better yet, maybe 10 years ago, their situation would be much different than it is right now. I'm thinking specifically of situations where a widow would contact us to say her husband forgot to name her as the beneficiary on his 401k plan, and she knew she'd get the money eventually, but it was taking some time, and could I help? And I would check out that 401k balance, and what was between her and financial ruin was maybe a $32,000 401k balance. And I just thought that if she and her husband had found somebody to help them earlier, she'd still be grieving the loss of her husband, but she wouldn't be so anxious and fearful about the money side of things. So I felt called to make that move from the institutional side of money over to the personal side. I really wanted to help people, and particularly women in transition. These transitions being widowhood or or divorcing, but these are strong, smart women who are in a really bad moment in their life, and they are sometimes not able to make good choices on their own at that moment, and I wanted to be the one to have their back and help them make those good choices while they're navigating that difficult time. So you open Inspired Financial, and you have a goal for how you're going to help these clients? Yeah, actually, I wish I could say I was that smart that I had it all dialed in right from the first day, but I would be um, lying if I said that. What I knew I wanted to do was comprehensive financial planning. I really wanted to help folks make good decisions to develop a strategy for securing their finances going forward. And so when I initially left that company and started my own financial planning practice, Like many advisors, I was just going to try to do that for everybody. I wanted to try to help everybody. I believed financial planning could change lives, and I still do. And so I was going to try to do it for everybody. But I very quickly found that I was really attracted and interested in helping this particular group of potential clients. What was your comfort level making this jump, knowing that you were going to be sort of in people's personal space a little bit? How how did you feel about that? Actually, initially, I was a little reticent. And and not that I didn't want to embrace the more emotional part of money and finance with our clients, but rather, would they be interested? Would they be willing to meet me halfway, so to speak? If I was going to approach it from an emotional, relational perspective, would they be interested in that? And 
We found that particularly with our women in transition clients, they crave it. They truly want to have that emotional and relational connection because money and finances are incredibly emotional. And for any advisor who thinks otherwise, they're either not paying attention or they're deluding themselves because there's a very, very high emotional component associated with making financial choices. So I would say that we eased into it, sort of put a big toe into the water to see if there was going to be some interest. And then we jumped right in because there was so much interest and such a hunger for it. And if I had any regret, it would be all these years later, it would just be that we did not go sort of all in sooner because I think that we might have missed out on opportunities to help our clients if we had been willing to engage in sort of that deeper potentially emotional conversation earlier. Sure. I can see why you'd want to start a bit slower. I mean, you know, you know, you aren't trained as a therapist, for instance, you know, so I guess you had to sort of figure out what the boundary was, right? Right. So how do you go about navigating those boundaries? Do you have an example you could share with us? Sure. Lots, actually. But one, a very, very, I'll say typical one that comes to mind is a divorcee who came on with us not too long ago who really, as is common in many relationships, you know, a couple will divide and conquer on the family responsibilities. And many times the wife is taking care of household management and the husband will take care of other financial things. And so in this particular case, it was uh, that kind of a situation. She really wasn't familiar with what was going on with the finances and unfortunately found out that her husband had been having a multi-year affair on the side. She actually discovered this and finding some receipts that indicated there were some things going on there. It was absolutely crushing to her confidence and her self-worth. And uh, when she came to see us, uh, it was um, early on in the um, divorce process, and she was struggling with the financial end of trying to figure out what was going to happen here. And she would fluctuate between just this intense anger and rage and a desire to sort of take him for everything he was worth. And we call that the scorched earth policy. She just wanted to clean him out. And then on sort of the opposite end of the emotional spectrum, these decimating fears that she was not going to be okay, that she wasn't smart enough to handle her own finances, feeling very negative about herself. Would she ever be loved again? And so neither of those extremes are healthy for her on a personal level, and they actually don't help her on a financial level either. So we actually worked with her very closely through the divorce process, first of all, to help allay those fears and start building that confidence. One of the most important things I think that we can do for our women in transition who doubt their own ability to make good financial choices is to educate them and empower them so that they do feel good about decisions. And I'm not talking about helping them get their MBAs and you know managing their own portfolios and such, but rather just to help them have a baseline of knowledge so that they feel like they can understand the information that is being shared with them and make good choices on that. But the other thing that we can help her do is recognize that you're going to be okay financially and that the rage and anger that you're feeling, uh, while understandable, are not actually helpful for you or your kids. And that self-destruction uh, or that destruction that you are looking for with your ex is actually harming you more 
and potentially your kids more than it is going to be harming him. And so it's messy. It can be highly emotional. We go through a lot of tissues and we go through a lot of chocolate. And for an advisor, it might be kind of scary to get into this kind of relationship. But over the time that we worked with her, this particular divorcee, we actually were really successful in bringing her back to center and showing her you are going to be okay. And I can never take away how angry she was, but we helped her dial it down and at the same time helped elevate her own self-worth and look a little to the future more confidently than she would have been able to otherwise. Wow. So it goes far beyond the financial side of things. I mean, this is having a conversation about someone's self-worth. That's that's a very important thing. Absolutely. You have certainly trained yourself to be able to talk to people, to have these conversations. What skills have you developed that have helped you navigate these these really tough and really emotional conversations? Yeah. You know, how do you prepare yourself? How do you prepare your team to sort of engage into these kinds of relationships? And certainly some of that is just your personal comfort level. But it is a trainable skill. It is something that you can learn. And actually on our team, we spend a lot of time focusing on this. We actually study grief and transition topics as much as we do investment and tax and estate and insurance type topics. And there are classes that teach you how to work with clients who are grieving. And and when we say grieving, folks almost always jump to death. They always assume um, grieving because somebody died. But our women in transition, transitions take all kinds of forms. And so the grieving that they can feel certainly could be from death of a spouse, could be from divorce, could be from loss of a parent. It could be from being fired from their job at 58 years old and not sure what's going to happen next. So grief can take a lot of different forms, but the emotion that comes from whatever the loss is, is no less from the source of the loss. And so we want to make sure we're prepared to help her navigate whatever that is. And so class is teaching us how to communicate with our clients who are grieving. Um, Books and courses, you can actually get a PhD in behavioral finance. And so there's definitely the formal educational sort of academic side of this, but we actually practice these conversations in our office. Every time I write a condolence note to a client or email a client who's going through something really difficult, I always share it with our team so that they can recognize how to communicate around this and start practicing it on their own. I want them to know how to write that condolence note or a note of support and affirmation, not just me. And candidly, these skills are ones that you need to have for any good communication. We're talking about it with our clients here, but communicating with friends and family, think about how would you want to talk to friends and family about a loss or grief in their life and bring it into the office and use that with your clients as well. Absolutely. In talking about how important it is to develop those communication skills, I'm curious, what does a note or conversation with a grieving client actually sound like? I'll give you another great example, and this is a a freebie for everybody who's listening to the podcast because this is something I struggled with really early on. For example, Jim Let's say a friend of yours calls and says, hey, I got to tell you, my dad just died. What's the very first thing that you say? Mm, The first thing I would say is, I'm sorry. Yeah, wrong. That's not what you should say. But you're right. That's the number one thing that we do say. That's what we're trained to say. But the problem with saying that I'm sorry is, first of all, it's about you. It's not about your friend. Secondly, where does the conversation go from there? What's your friend say? Yeah, me too. 
not nearly as sorry as I am. And there's just no opening for further dialogue beyond that. I know it's what we are trained to say, but we can do so much better for somebody who desperately needs help at that moment. And so what I would recommend is folks to consider what else can you say that actually makes it about the person and invites them to further conversation. So for example, what you might have said to your friend instead is, I am really sorry to hear that. Were you there when your dad died? Now that becomes about him and it becomes about that experience with his father and it allows him to tell some story and it opens it up as an invitation to talk more and I care and I'm interested and let me hear what's important to you right now in this really terrible moment in your life. So don't say I'm sorry. You can be somebody who's different and really help her in this moment that she needs you. It's hard for advisors to do this. I got to tell you, the number of planners I've met who, when I tell them about the niche that we serve and how we like to communicate with them, say, well, you can have them. I hate it when they cry in my conference room, and I um, get really irritated when I hear that. But I guess I also understand where they're coming from because it can be a little intimidating to have these kinds of conversations and relationships. So in all these years and in these conversations that you've had with many clients, You certainly have come away changing your approach over the years, learning different things here and there. What lessons really stand out to you? Yeah, we have refined this a lot over the years. One of the first things that I would share with folks listening is to embrace it sooner. As I mentioned to you a moment ago, one of the things that I wish we had done earlier is lean into this higher level of relationship much sooner when we're working with our clients. And we go all in almost immediately now. And the reason for that is that you do miss out on opportunities to help clients and their families if you're not willing to invite that conversation with the client from the beginning. And so one of the things we learned is to go early, really open that relationship up right from the beginning. We've also learned that this doesn't apply just to women in transition. You know, the communication skills that we've developed over the years and our embracing of a relationship with our clients over the years is also applicable to couples. And we actually do have a few men that were in transition when they came to us. And the communication skills and the relationships that we're building have been useful for both those married couples and for these men. One of our first men in transition clients came to us at a time when he was being let go from his job. He was an electrical engineer, worked for a large communications company, had been working with them for 30 years, and they were going to be making some changes within the organization and were letting him go. And he was 62 years old. And so he um, was going to be getting a severance package. He had a pension plan and a deferred comp and 401k and a very, very smart guy, but was not you know, really tracking everything going on on the financial side of things. He was actually a friend of ours from church and said, hey, you know, would you mind just looking at the paperwork? Because I'm having a little trouble figuring out the paperwork. And I said, sure, come on in. I reviewed with him what exactly he was looking at. And he said, well, am I going to be okay? It's just everybody wants to know at the end of the day, am I going to be okay? And that was his question. Am I going to be okay? First of all, am I going to be okay? And then well, do I need to go back to work and do I need to get a job? And he was looking at this very much from a financial perspective. And as I realized how much he was going to have, I paused and I said, well, let me ask you, before I dive into the numbers, if you didn't have to work again, what would you want to do? And 
He said, well, I don't really know. I'd have to think about it. After a little bit of exploration, he said, you know, I always wanted to be a chef. I could never be a chef. Chefs don't make any money. And he said, do you think I could do that? And again, he's very emotional about this. Do you think I could do that? And I said, absolutely, you could do that. And from a financial perspective, this is how it would have to work. And I laid it out. I said, there's going to have to be some boundaries. You can't go all crazy on spending if we're going to do this, but you can do this. And um, he said, you've given me a lot to think about. He came back after that meeting and said, okay, I'm going to do this. And I got to tell you, Jim, one of the proudest moments of my career was sitting in the audience the day he walked across the stage after earning his culinary degree. And I'll tie this back into leaning into the relationship and embracing the emotion because it would have been very easy to complete the paperwork and to say, okay, you got plenty of money here. You're going to be just fine. We can start sending you $8,000 a month and we'll get back to you with some tax planning and updating your estate documents here shortly. But we didn't. We paused and we wanted to do a little bit of exploration that actually ended up eliciting a fair amount of emotion and almost a sense of lost opportunity. And we were able to address that with him and it was a pretty exciting and proud moment. I was honored to be on the journey with him as he was moving into that next adventure of his life. That's really incredible. He came to you with a sort of a dream, I guess, you know, it was just a dream and, and you helped him make it tangible. Exactly, and what was interesting about it is it wasn't a dream that was on the surface. This was something that had been stuffed and buried and ignored and neglected and thrown in the back of a mental closet because it was never possible. It was not ever, ever going to be possible. So why have at the front of our minds things that are not ever going to be? And so by opening up and inviting him to talk about dreams and maybe things he'd never thought would be possible, it allowed it to come out to the forefront and then become a reality. And what a privilege to be a, a planner helping a client do something like that. You know, but you have emotions, too. You are a person. You feel these things. You've gone through experiences. Certainly some of these the stories and things that are brought to you incite emotions of your own. What do you feel when you're having these conversations? I know it's not going to always be the same, but how did you get through that yourself? Yeah, our personal experiences and the emotions that we felt in navigating those certainly inform how we respond and candidly what triggers us. And we're sitting across a table or in a chair next to a client having these conversations. So for me, I have been divorced. And I, at the time that I got divorced, I was so distraught about being in that moment that I would have done pretty much anything to move through the process as quickly as possible. And I did. I basically said, sure, okay, you want the house, that's fine, you can have it. Oh, the retirement account's fine, take them. You know, I, I just wanted to get through it as quickly as I possibly could. And I'm a real strong woman, but I just wanted the pain to end and to get on the other side so I could figure out what am I doing next. And in retrospect, I ended up making decisions that put myself in a worse place than I needed to be. And I thought, as I'm sitting across the table from a, a divorcee, and then I'll extrapolate that to any woman who's navigating a significant transition. I think about myself in that moment when I was getting divorced and how much I would have wished to have had somebody who was there to be my voice when I couldn't find my own and to have my back and to um, guide me when I was fogged up and just all murky because of all the other emotions going on in my life. And so 
you're right that any advisor is going to bring their own life experience and emotions into a relationship with a client. And I will, um, particularly when she's feeling that rage or anger, I will try really hard to let her talk through it and then try to bring her back to center because it is destructive. It doesn't help her at all to be resting in that moment. And and that's when I think about my own and when I was angry and how did I sort of walk back from the ledge. And so it's useful to channel and reflect on your own personal experiences and emotions And then I'll also share candidly that there are times that I am not the right person to have that particular conversation with a client. And that's where it's really helpful to have a team that has their own disparate experiences, that if I am not the person to have that conversation because I bring emotion or I might be triggered into a conversation with a client, I'm very fortunate that I have a team that I can suggest one of my other team members have that conversation instead. Demographics alone are enough of a reason to pay attention to women. But many women aren't getting what they want from the financial industry. Visit TDAI.com and click on Insights to read Beware the Pink Trap and learn more. How has this diverse team, personal experience, and what you've learned throughout the process changed the services you provide and how you approach the business as a whole? There is a technical side to this, actually, because the particular transitions that we're discussing have very technical financial planning implications as well. So, For example, again, I'll go back to divorce planning. There are some very specific things that happen from a financial planning perspective during a divorce. Um, there are things that happen around estate planning or, or as many advisors would know, that you can't do around estate planning, but the importance is understanding what you are able to do as far as updating estate documents and such when she's going through a divorce. Likewise, there's a lot of work to be done around figuring out or determining appropriate property settlements. How are we going to split the property that they've accumulated through the marriage? And so one of the things that we have done over the years is we've become very clear on what are the technical skills that we need to have in addition to the communications and relational skills. And we've built out those technical skills on our team as well. And more than just learning those skills, we've actually clearly documented what are the services that we bring to you as a divorcee going through this time in your life or as a widow who is navigating this loss in her life and can actually show them in physical form this is the path that we'll be walking together and here are the things that we can do for you if your situation calls for them that you may not have thought that you might need and you know it's almost like I jokingly call it the a la carte menu of all the things that we bring to the table to help you in this time in your life and beyond it once we get on the other side. And so there's that sort of summary brings together both the technical things that we've had to learn to develop on our team over the years and the relational and emotional components as well. We are able to illustrate it all through this um, service process that we share with her that shows her very clearly how we are going to help and support her as she's going through this time in her life. I understand that I and my team are a little bit on the extreme for how much we seek and embrace the emotion and the relationship. It has to do with the niche that we serve. It has to do with who we are as people, the experiences that we've had. As I look at my team, there is not 
a life experience that one of our clients has had that we have not had. We've had divorces. We've had loss of spouses. We've had loss of parents. We've had family with disabilities. We've had big job losses late in life. Pretty much every one of us have navigated that. And so we're very comfortable with that. And I understand that not all advisors might be quite as all in as we are. And that's okay. But to ignore it completely truly denies you an opportunity to engage with your clients at a level that many of them would like. I think that's very important. I think knowing the distinction there, um, like you're saying, is is huge. Knowing that not everyone is going to want to do it this way. You're not coming in saying, I have all the answers to what you need. Even if you might, that's not your approach. And I think that's very valid. And I think that's pretty awesome for our listeners to hear as well. Right. I do have one other little tip. It's a really silly tip, but I got to get it out there because I see it all the time when I visit my colleagues in their offices, is to really take a look at what your office is saying about you and the relationships you want to have with your clients. And so let me give you, for example, you walk into the reception area, and if there's a big TV on the wall that's streaming CNBC, and it's got the ticker running, and it's got all of the talking heads doing their things, and the buy, buy, and the sell, sell, and all the economy, that's up on the wall. And then in your magazine rack, you've got the Financial Times, and you've got Barron's, and you've got the Wall Street Journal, and you've got Fortune, and so you've got all of that. And your client is sitting there, and whether this is a man, woman, or couple, they're sitting there, they're looking at Jim Cramer screaming his head off, they're looking at the Financial Times and thinking, is this the way it is? Is this the way I should be looking at my financial life? And it's incredibly stressful, incredibly. And then they go into your conference room. You've got that big Ibbotson chart framed on your wall that shows the returns of different asset classes over the, you know, since 1926, that's up on the wall. And then you've got like a bull and a bear painting framed on the wall. And they're like, why is that thing on the wall? Am I supposed to, is that supposed to have significance of some sort? And I'm being silly, of course. But my point is just consider what message you're sending to your clients regarding what you are doing for them and the kind of relationship that you want to have with them with how your office looks. So, for example, our office is is quite homey. And don't get me wrong, it's not homey like unprofessional with tatty couches in the lobby, but rather it's not cold and clinical. It's a, a warm craftsman style of an office. And we have landscape pictures on our walls. We have food and wine and travel and leisure magazine in the magazine racks. We have fresh flowers around in our conference room. We actually have, you know, of, of course, tissues and a bowl of chocolates on the table. We make sure it's a very comfortable temperature for our clients. We are in Southern California, and so it's magnificent almost all the time, but we are attuned to what is what is the whole environment look like. I'll share something else that might seem kind of silly or unimportant, but when she comes in, can I get you something to drink? Would you like a glass of water? Can I make you a cup of tea or a cup of coffee? And you know what? When we make her a cup of tea, we bring her a small teapot. We have a cup on a saucer with a small spoon and some sugar and a little bit of cream. And that sounds like a ton of work. But think about this woman. Again, I'm back to my widows and divorcees. When was the last time she had somebody truly serve her? small, small detail, but an indicator of the kind of relationship that her planner, her advisor would like to have with her. I guess one final little tidbit there is if she's showing up for a late afternoon meeting, if it's like a three o'clock meeting or even a four o'clock meeting, offer her a snack. You know, even, hey, can I bring a little bowl of almonds? Because you get to late afternoon and they are probably starving 
and low blood sugar is your enemy. So um, there is definitely some benefit to having a little snack for her as well. You know, you may say oh, those are unimportant or inconsequential, but the cumulative effect of the physical environment can have a huge impact on what the emotional and relational conversation looks like. The message I'm sending them is I'm about the quality of life that you want to lead and the people and things that are important to you and the work that we're going to do is going to get you there as opposed to hot stock tips and what's happening in the markets and the economy. So just think twice about what your office is saying for you in addition to what you are saying for you. Wow, that's great. I think our listeners are going to take away quite a bit from this conversation. It's been a pleasure. We really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us today, Evelyn. Thanks, Jim. It's been a lot of fun. It's not always knowing what to say, but how to say it. As we've heard from Evelyn, a little effort can go a long way in serving your clients as an RIA. Come back next week when we'll be joined in the studio by Bryce Carter, CIO of Financial Strategies Group, to discuss supporting clients who are coping with medical issues.